0: Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub
1: Radio. Hello, and welcome to Book Dreams. I'm Julie Sternberg, a children's book author,
0: and I'm Eve Hallam, and I'm also a children's
1: book author. And I'm once again calling from the car, the home office, uh, <laughs> the home office. Uh, you know what I I was thinking today, Eve? No,
0: I don't, because it's eight in the morning and. <laughs> We haven't really had a chance to talk yet. No,
1: we haven't. But I've been up for a while. And I was thinking that I'm going to have to reread the Little House on the Prairie books. Why Why is that? (laughs) Because I've been... I've grown a little ridiculously self-satisfied lately with respect to my resourcefulness, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and I, I sort of think like I could I could live on the prairie, but, oh, the, the, okay. the, but the basis for this is like like this. I've taken to um, I wake up in the morning. I I boil hot water. And I set out two tall glasses, and I make—I put a tea bag in them. And then, when the water has boiled, I make um, tall glasses of tea that I can then chill
0: mm-hmm. to make
1: my own iced tea. So,
0: so, so your your belief in your resourcefulness, your belief that you can um, butcher a pig and use the bladder for a balloon, and which is the thing I remember from the books, and, and dig out a home in a hill of grass and all of that other stuff it's Uh it's based on your ability to make really good iced tea which uh, and I don't mean to to denigrate that accomplishment (laughs) but you grew up in Louisiana so I kind of feel like Um, The ability to make really good iced tea is in your your DNA. It wasn't an acquired skill. In other words,
1: I'm just I'm acknowledging I need a good Ma ingle smackdown. Is what I'm saying. I I have. um, Oh, okay. So you can
0: read Little House in the Prairie while I'm reading the Song of the Lark.
1: How is Song
0: of the Lark going? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Okay. There's there, I, there are two things I wanted to talk to you about with Song of the Lark, and, and one we can just talk about very briefly. I, I need a, some reassurance from you. And um, I'm a little bit potentially troubled. You, you may have noticed that uh, Thea, our main character, has many friendships with adult men. And, yes. And no friendships with adult women. And, no. And there, are, there are, have been moments that raise you know, red flags. I don't know if that's too strong a word. So for example, in the very beginning of the book, um, as I said the other day, Dr. Archie comes to Thea's house to help her mother deliver a baby. And while he's there, he discovers that Thea is there and she's suffering from horrible pneumonia and he saves her life, which is a beautiful thing. But (laughs) there is this line while he is treating her. He had no children of his own. His marriage was a very unhappy one. As he lifted and undressed Thea, he thought to himself, what a beautiful thing a little girl's body was, like a flower. And then he goes on to describe her body, her milky white skin and so forth. (laughs) And I read that and I thought, okay, you know, different time. And and let's be honest, children's bodies are very beautiful and, and okay. And Julie loves this book and okay. But then, Then a little while later, we meet Ray Kennedy, who's a great guy. Uh, He's 30. And just a reminder that Thea is 12. And Ray, we find out, has decided to marry Thea when she's old enough, which of course makes me wonder, is that 14? You know, is that 20? What is that? And, (laughs) And there is this line, he used to remark to Spanish Johnny, which of course means he said it frequently that girl is developing something fine so you've got these two men talking about the development of this 12-year-old and and i read all the ugly and wonderful things i don't know if you did so i, I can give this relationship no. the benefit of the
1: doubt but i did not read all the ugly and wonderful things oh
0: that you know what that could be a great book for you it's not murder but it's dark it, it starts when a girl is 13 and um it's a, her relationship with an adult a young adult man and which eventually develops into something romantic, um, which sounds like there's no way you could ever sympathize because it's just so wrong and creepy, but you do sympathize, and it which is a brilliant, brilliant accomplishment on the part of the author. but mm, i' I just okay. want to say I, I I trust you, Julie. I completely <laughs> trust you. and it it feels like a betrayal to even ask you what I feel compelled to ask you, which is, this book isn't going to get sexual predator creepy on me, is it? Because I, I don't <laughs> think I can handle that right now.
1: <laughs> it is not going. Not only do you, should you trust me, you should trust Willa Cather. Let's just say that um, the the person who turns out to be the strongest character of all by far is Thea, uh, and the men recognize and respect that okay um yeah thank so, you. thank you <laughs> okay. but so, yes it is of course quite creepy
0: okay yeah. excellent so the the main thing i wanted to talk to you about which does also have to do with song of the lark but also has to do with the world we're living in is this notion in writing and creative writing that setting is character which was a, a revelation to me as a writer to think about setting as character and you know the idea that we can feel about places the way we feel about people. I mean, actually, an obvious example would be Little House on the Prairie, right? Her descriptions that the world we're living in that prairie where she's living feels like a living, breathing entity to us when yeah. we when we read it. Yeah. Um, uh, the Shining might be another example. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but um, one of the things I'm loving about the Song of the Lark is how she brings the setting to life, the skillful way she does it, her changes in register. So this moment really jumped out at me. She's describing this fictional Colorado desert town, Moonstone, which in itself, you know, the name Moonstone has so much um, Mm -hmm. emotion and and, um, romance to it. And she's describing Mm -hmm. the town for several pages in this beautiful language, describing the natural world and the layout of the town. And then she says... Just beyond the gully was old Billy Bremer's grove. Twelve town lots set out in fine, well-grown cottonwood trees, delightful to look upon or to listen to as they swayed and rippled in the wind, you know, which is just beautiful in higher register. And then Uncle Billy had been one of the most worthless old drunkards who ever sat on a (laughs) store box and told filthy stories. One night he played hide and seek with a switch engine and got his sodden brains knocked out. But his grove, the one creditable thing he had ever done in his life, rustled on.
1: <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. Isn't yeah. that just
0: fabulous? And so, this place, this moonstone, is very much a character um, in the book, which is something I'm loving, and is also just a painful reminder of how much I love our city, New York City. Mm. Mm. and and which is suffering you know we the people of New York City are suffering and the city itself it does it remind you at all of 9-11 where immediately after 9-11 nobody wanted to leave everybody wanted to go downtown and because our city I mean the people in it of course are the most important thing but I just remember thinking that the city itself was a person I didn't want to leave that I wanted to be close to to help and
1: whatever way I could it does um but of course this is different in that the city itself is poisoned this time it feels like the whole city is permeated yeah um with a toxin yeah
0: yeah among my many worries is a deep deep worry for for new york right now for the city yeah yeah um Okay. Well, that was, I started with creepy and I ended with sad. So.
1: Oh, but I'll take you to creepy. Okay. Let's
0: go. So let's go back to creepy. Tell (laughs) me what you're reading. Tell me how you're feeling.
1: Okay. So I finished Two Girls Down and I have made a radical decision based on that book, which is that I am not going to read more crime fiction because of course, of course, it has me terrified. It was about two girls being kidnapped and I'm already waking up in the middle of the night Wondering if anyone's coughing. I do not need to be waking up in the middle of the night listening for whether men are creeping outside and about to take my girls. Yeah. So, no more creepy crime fiction for me. Okay. Um, but I'm so glad that I had started already with Euphoria by mm-hmm. Lily King um, for many, many reasons. One is that it's just so nice to enter into a completely new world. Just a reminder that it's set. Um, in the 1930s and it's about anthropologists in new guinea which is near australia and they're studying tribes that are very very different from the western world and particularly at a time now when the whole world seems to be um suffering from this crisis to be able to escape from it into this very different kind of place and time is very nice that's one yeah um and then two, the writing is so great. I also want to um, just read a couple of things. One is, remember I got started on this with cannibalism. That was what drew me to it. I, mm-hmm. I was I of found course. that, I, of course, appealing. Yeah, because cannibalism um,
0: was feeling very safe for you it, at the moment.
1: Yes, and, and it still is. I'm not worried about cannibals in the middle of the night. But the way she handles it is just so compact and funny. And I, I just want to read it. Yes. Um, but first I have to set a few background facts. One is the main character who's an anthropologist based on Margaret Mead is in a boat. She and her husband, Fen, have just left a very violent tribe that they had been studying called the Mumbanyo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she's in this boat with women who are not anthropologists and they're from the West. And these women like me are, they're very interested in cannibalism and they ask <laughs> whether whether. I'm sorry, tribe- but
0: who wouldn't be? I mean, is who there anyone be- who hears the word cannibalism and says, can we talk about, I mean, yes, can we talk about something else? Because it seems so creepy, but they're not disinterested.
1: No, Nobody's- they raise it. They Nobody's it, so disinterested they- in cannibalism. No, no. They raise it. So they say, were they cannibals? And sh- she says, it was not safe to give them an honest answer. She did not know who their men were. No, she says, they fully understand and abide by the new laws. And then I'm skipping a little bit, and she and one of the women says, "Do they talk about it?" She wondered why every white asked about cannibalism. She thought of Finn when he returned from the ten day hunt, his sad attempt to keep it from her. "I tasted it," he finally blurted out. Oh. "And they're right, it does taste like old pig." It was a joke. It was a joke the, <laughs> the Mumbayo had that the missionaries had tasted like old pig. I mean, and that's all there is actually about Tenable, but that it's so memorable. So so memorable. memorable. I mean,
0: well, and look what Lily King is doing there, right? So that accusation, why does everyone want to know? And, you know, all the white people want to know. And of course, I'm sitting here feeling really ashamed (laughs) because, you know, put me in that boat, uh, literally, as well as figuratively, I would like to be in that boat. And I want to know all the gory details. And so I She makes the the white Western yeah. reader feel simultaneously ashamed and desperate to know and yeah. greedy for more. Um,
1: and then she tells you, and you're like, "Oh, I wish I hadn't asked." That. That's really great.
0: Yeah. Oh no, that wasn't my reaction. I was oh. thinking, "Oh, I'm so glad now I know." Now you know. Now you
1: know. And also, it's such a fabulous sign about their marriage, right? It's so telling about her husband, whom we haven't seen that much of yet. Yeah. Anyway, it's fascinating. Um, and such a great example of good writing. Can I read one more quickly? Please. Okay. So this is really more of a writing trick that I want to try. So she has the whole book so far, it's only 12 pages, but you're fully immersed in the Um, A close third person, right? You're in this woman's head. It's she, 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 she. They've gotten off the boat. They've left this terrible tribe. They've landed in a slightly more civilized place. And they're going to a Christmas Eve party at a governor's station. And it says, she took a glass from a tray held out to her. On the other side of the room, beyond the tray and the arm of the Tawai man who held it, she saw a man beside the tree a man quite possibly taller than the tree, touching a branch with his fingers. And then there are several blank lines. Mm -hmm. And then it says, without her glasses, my face would have been little more than a pinkish smudge among many. But she seemed to know it was me as soon as I lifted my head. And that's the end of the chapter. So you've gone she, 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 she. And all of a sudden, it switches to first person, to this brand new character. It's a man who's not her... You know, missionary eating husband. Yeah. And yes, I'm just, I cannot wait. Do you think Whoa. I can do that? <laughs> yeah,
0: what does that indicate? What's going on
1: there? Well, first of all, I mean, I assumed, but I knew that there was a love triangle. So this is the third prong of the triangle. And right, it's shifted to the perspective of this new player. Um, but, but, he's talking about his view of her mind of what's going on in her mind. Right. Without her glasses, my face would have been little more than a pinkish smudge. So it's continuing her thought. You're still in that close view of her head, but it's from his perspective. So you're, it's signaling immediately how close they become, how much she cares about her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I honestly got chills running down my spine when I got to this point. I'm like, because I couldn't wait to read more about him. Right. Um, and, and usually I that kind so of much.
0: shift yes. in point of view indicates that, you know, usually you stay away from those. And it's yes. usually out of sloppiness or not knowing how to handle point of view. Yes. So when someone shifts that way, mid-sentence, in such a masterful way,
1: it's yes, it's thrilling. And yes, and normally you would be in more of an objective third person. You might well switch and it might be jarring because you're still in third person, but you're switching to a new character and it's not clear. Here it's perfectly clear. So much is told and so little. I mean, we're only on page 13 and I feel already so many tensions among these three characters. Um, anyway, it's just fantastic. The other thing that I wanted to say that's so nice about it that's revealed in that little moment is that it's about human connection in addition mm. to being about some just difficult circumstances um, and being set in this other world and time. And the reading about human connection I hadn't realized would be really nice for me right now too. So yeah. that's something I'm going to keep in mind.
0: Thank you so much for bringing us back to a happier place. I think that's it for today. Thank you to everyone who's listening and be well. And we hope that you're able to read and, and find whatever escape that you need. And we look forward to talking more tomorrow.
1: Yes. And please reach out to us. You can reach us at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We would love to hear what you're reading and why we would love to connect with you and hope that you are able to to stay connected um, while isolating. Yes. Happy book dreams, everybody. Happy book dreams.